0: Amen. If you would, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. We are spending these five weeks in October talking about the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. It's recognized as beginning on October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany. That sparked a Reformation that spread throughout Europe, to France, to England to Scotland, to Switzerland, and beyond. As it spread, it became known as the Protestant Reformation, and it's from here that we got our start. And last week, we looked at the first sola of the Reformation, sola scriptura, which means Scripture alone. Scripture is God's inspired Word. It is the only inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church of Jesus Christ. So we need to be in the Scriptures. We need to be characterized by the Scriptures. What we say, what we do, what we think, what we sing, what we pray, how we live as individuals, as families, and as a church, and as a citizen, all needs to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Today, in Romans 5, we're going to see the second sola of the Protestant Reformation, solus Christus, which means Christ Christ. Alone. If you've been singing, if you've been paying attention to what we have sung this morning, you should recognize that Christ alone is where we stand and in whom we stand, and our worth is found in no one other than Christ, Holy Christ. Solus Christus is the ass- assertion that Christ alone is the only way, that the ungodly are justified in God's sight. Christ alone is the, is the belief that Christ is the only way that the ungodly are justified in God's sight. And honestly, we can take that further and say that Jesus Christ is the only way that the godly can find fullness of joy and pleasure. In the words of Isaac Ambrose, only Christ is the whole of man's happiness. The sun to enlighten Him. The Physician to heal Him. The Ark to support Him. The Rock to sustain Him under the heaviest pressures. Only Christ is that ladder between earth and heaven. The mediator between God and man. Here is a blessed subject indeed. Who would not be glad to pry into it? Who would not be glad to spend a Sunday just thinking about, and meditating on Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, we see some insight into why it is Christ alone, how it is Christ alone, why it's necessary for it to be Christ alone. We're going to learn that if we are not in Christ this morning... We are in trouble. If you're not in Christ, you're in trouble. Because we are all in this room, outside of this room, watching online, we are all born once, right? You've been born. If you're here, you've been born, right? We've all been born once in Adam, and therefore we are sentenced, all of us, sentenced to death, to hell. And the grave. There's no escaping it. If your mom's water broken. You came into being. as And breathing oxygen. Here on earth. You have been born once. And if you have been born once. You have been born a child. Of Adam the old man. And you have been sentenced. To death. To hell. And to the grave. But we can be born again. We can be born again in Christ and therefore granted life eternal, heaven, and the hope of a future resurrection. Romans 5 makes it clear. Romans 5, we will see, first of all, the first Adam. The first Adam, in verses 12 to 14, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Who's the one man that sin entered into the world through? His name was Adam, right? The first man. And because sin entered into the world through Adam, with that sin came death. And that sentence of death spread to all men because all of us have sinned and all of us have come short of the glory of God, right? Verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam Until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. In other words, death is coming for us even if we don't transgress. And what what the word transgress means is there is a written law, speed limit 55. You see the sign, you say, forget about it, and you drive 70. That's a transgression. You've seen the law, you know the law, you break the law, you don't care. Sin is more like missing the mark. You get distracted by 17 deer in the city of Tullahoma, wondering which one's going to dive-bomb your vehicle next, and you pass the new speed limit sign of 40 miles an hour without seeing it, and you're driving 50, and you get pulled over. Does the cop say, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't see the sign, I'll just let you go? No, you get a ticket, don't you? You pay the fine. But it's not because you intentionally transgressed. You missed the mark. You fell short. You sinned. You didn't see the sign. Punishment comes either way. So where there's no law, there can be transgression. But there's still sin. There's still falling short. There's still missing the mark. And there is still the price to pay, which is death. Death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense or transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now let's think about this first Adam here. Because if we're going to understand Christ alone and why it's necessary for it to be Christ alone, why it must be Christ alone, why there is no other hope but Christ alone, we have to understand Adam and the first thing I want us to understand and be reminded of and learn about Adam is that the first Adam was the son of God, lowercase s. He was the son of God who literally sinned. In Luke's genealogy, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 38, he's going through Jesus, the son of the son of the son of the son of the son of. And he comes all the way back down to Luke chapter 3 and verse 38, and he gets to Adam and he says, the son of Adam, the son of. Who? God. Adam didn't have an earthly, physical daddy. Age-old question, did Adam have a belly button? We don't know. Because he didn't have an earthly mother and he didn't have an earthly father. He was the Son of God, lowercase s. God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. He gets to day six and he creates the animals and then he does something special. He's been speaking and creating and now the Bible says that he he takes dirt, he takes clay, he takes the soil of the ground and he fashions a man made in his own image, in his own likeness and he breathes the breath of life into this dirt man and he... And the Spirit comes into him and he lives. And we know that he took a rib from Adam and he made him a wife. Adam was the son of God. God physically created him just as he physically creates you and your children in a mother's womb. We're fearfully and we're wonderfully what? Made. Adam was created in the image of God. He was placed in a paradise. He was placed in a garden. And there in the garden, he was free to eat from all of the trees of the garden, but one tree which was in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he was not supposed to eat the fruit from that tree. And yet we know the story, don't we? We know the story in Genesis 3. Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he tempts Eve to take the fruit. He deceives Eve. He tricks Eve to take the fruit. She takes the fruit. She gives some to her husband who knows the rules. He knows better. And he transgresses. He sins. He offends. He commits offense and offends God. This first Adam was the son of God who literally sinned. Now listen, I'm just going to say, I can't get into this, well I could, but you want to eat lunch before supper. But Adam has to be a real man who was really created by God, who really lived on this earth or pretty much everything else falls apart. So we can't play this game of, well, you know, it's just a nice bedtime story. It's some good reading, has some good principles we can learn from. We can, we can glean some good things for life from the story of Adam and Eve. But you know, it was really just kind of a Jewish fable they made up to keep their kids in line. We cannot approach Adam that way. Are we going to miss something bigger than Adam, okay? Which leads to number two, because the first Adam, who was the son of God and who literally sinned, also is our Father, because we are all descendants of the first Adam and infected by his sin. Let's just stop here for a moment and think about we are all descendants of the first Adam. That means every person on planet Earth, red, yellow, black, white, some shade of melanin in between, we are all cousins. Congratulations, you married your cousin. That handles the whole race issue in our country right there. We don't have to write 50,000 books. We don't have to do 50,000 blogs. We don't have to talk about it all day, all, all week, all month, all year. It doesn't have to be a centerpiece of the news or in the convention. We can say we are all made in the image of God. We are all cousins at least, brothers, sisters. We go back to one great, 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 great grandfather. We all come from him and therefore, we are all more alike than we are different. And if you just think this is a Bible story, there's actually scientific evidence to prove this. According to a new science article in 2014, not a Christian publication, not Answers in Genesis, not Ken Ham, not some seminary professor... But according to a New Science article in 2014, if you trace back the DNA in the maternally inherited mitochondria within our cells, all humans have a theoretical common ancestor. And I love what they call her. This is a quote. Since Eve's time, different populations of humans have drifted apart genetically forming the distinct ethnic groups we see today I got one of those DNA tests you know that the government uses to track what we eat and where we live and all that at least that's the conspiracy theory I got one and I was gullible enough to do the little test and send it in I was reading about it and there's two interesting things that I found really only two one apparently I have enough Neanderthal in me this has become the family joke I have enough Neanderthal man still in me that I can grow a pretty big beard. No, that's not what it said. It did say that I don't get hangry. You know what hangry means? It means you get hungry and angry because you're hungry. Like You don't get hangry because you still have enough Neanderthal trait in you that you can go without eating, without getting angry. You can talk to my family about that. But the other interesting thing, the, the real interesting thing, was it said you, like everybody else, has a common grandmother. Now, they placed her somewhere in southern Africa 100,000 years ago. But the fact of the matter is, that's all speculation, the fact of the matter is, science says we all go back to one mama, Eve. They even call her Eve. Which gives some good credibility to the fact that we all go back to one daddy. And we're going to just, for kicks and giggles, call him Adam. Because that's what the Bible calls him. The problem is, because we are descendants of Adam, we inherit some things from Adam, don't we? Eyes, nose, mouth, hands, and a sin nature. When he sinned, He began to pass his sin nature on down from generation to generation. And we saw it right off the bat, didn't we? When Cain, we're going to talk about this next week, when Cain killed his brother Abel. We're one generation in. And the sin nature runs deep. I want you to hear me. That we are not sinners here this morning because we sin. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And we're sinners. Because we are children of Adam, every person born. Therefore, every person is inclined to sin. Therefore, none are good enough for God. Not Buddha, not Confucius, not Muhammad, not Moses, not me, not you, not Joseph Smith, not anybody else. None of us are good enough for God because we are born with a natural sin nature. Number three. As descendants of the first Adam, we have been affected by his sin. So we've been infected with a sin nature. We've also been affected with the sentence that God pronounced on Adam in the garden. You take this fruit and you will surely what? Die. Because Adam took the fruit, we are all affected. And we all are going downhill. Some of us us at a more rapid pace than others, but we're all going, right? We're going to die. Now, why would we be held accountable for something that Adam did? Because biologically speaking, I know you've heard me say this before, but because biologically speaking, we were in Adam, we were with Adam, we were present when he sinned. And therefore, we are somewhat culpable in that sin and we we experience the consequences of that sin and some of you may be thinking i don't understand this this doesn't make any sense to me i wasn't there you were there we just established that adam is everybody's great 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 grandfather right therefore you were in adam biologically speaking where would you be right now if your great grandfather had died at 10 years old Think about that a minute. Where would you be right now if your great-grandfather had died at 10 years old? You wouldn't be, right? Because, biologically speaking, you were in your great-grandfather. We were all, biologically speaking, in Adam. And we were there when he sinned, and therefore we are guilty with him, and we are culpable with him, and we are affected by his sin. Hebrews even talks about this with Abraham and Levi. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 7 through 10, it says, It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. And he's talking about Melchizedek, which a whole lot of mystery surrounds. We're not going to get into that. Again, you want to eat lunch today. But Melchizedek came from somewhere. We don't know where. He had no ancestry. He lives forever. It's a picture of Jesus one might even say that levi who is a descendant of abraham right levi was a descendant of abraham one might even say that levi himself who receives tithes the levitical priests received the tithe from the people paid tithes through abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when melchizedek met him you have this picture of jesus receiving tithes from the father Father Abraham of the Jews. Now you've got Levi strutting around in his Jewish garb demanding tithes from the people, and the author of Hebrews is saying here, I'm going to say that, that the greater is not Levi, the greater is Melchizedek, the greater is the one who pictured Jesus, the greater is Jesus Christ, because Abraham, the grandfather of Levi, was paying tithes to Jesus before Levi was even a thought. Why? Because he was in Abraham's loins just as we were in the loins of our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. Therefore, we are guilty and we are condemned already. We're condemned already. And you say, well, that's not right. There's no way that could be right. Have you ever... Have you ever seen a child born to a mother who is addicted to crack or to crystal meth? Does that child come out, and come free and clear, didn't affect me. I was just an innocent bystander. I just happened to be in mom while she was doing that and it did not affect me in the least. That's not how it works, is it? Innocent baby and mom Along for the ride, pays the price for mom's sin and comes out addicted to meth or addicted to crack or suffering from fetal alcohol syndrome or fill in the, fill in the blank, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Is that fair? But it is. And in much the same way, We were in our Father Adam, and when he sinned, it affected us. And here's how it affected us we were born with a nature like Adam's. We were born guilty, condemned to die, and we act like what we are. We're little sinners. From the smallest of us to the biggest of us, we're sinners. We sin. And like our Father Adam, we will all die. We will all sin and we will all die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 9.27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes the judgment. This is how all... Humanity has been born and where all humanity is, which is why we can search all of humanity for hope and find none. Because we've all been born to Adam, inheriting his sin nature, inheriting his condemnation, and doing what our father Adam has always done, sin, and therefore facing what Adam faced, death. All humanity has been born in a state of sin and misery. That's what the Catechism says. And that's where we all are, except for one, one man—the last Adam. Look in verses fifteen through seventeen. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Verse 16, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So we have this first picture is of the old Adam, the old man, the lowercase son of God. Now we're getting a flip side picture of the last Adam, the capital S son of God. How did the last Adam avoid the infection and the effect of the first Adam's sin? One, Christ, like Adam, was the Son of God. But you notice the S is capital? Christ, like the first Adam, was born without a sin nature. When when God created Adam out of the dirt and breathed the spirit of life into him, he did not have a sin nature. All of us have been born with a sin nature. Every human being born on earth has been born with a sin nature except for Jesus. He, like the first Adam, was born without a sin nature. How on earth could that happen? Because he bypassed, he bypassed Father Adam. Christ was not in his human nature, descended from Adam by ordinary generation. And so the guilt of Adam's first transgression was not imputed to him under the covenant of works. Adam wasn't his great, 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 great granddaddy. Now how on earth did Jesus avoid being born to Adam? Well, Luke chapter 1, again... We can't play fast and loose with the Scriptures. We have to take them or something breaks down. And in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, you're familiar with this. We're coming up up on Christmas fast and hot, right? Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call him jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end and mary said to the angel how can this be since i'm a virgin it takes a male and a female to have a baby And Mary's saying, I'm just a female. There's no male involved here. There's no male in my life in this way here. How on earth can I have a baby without a man involved? And the angel answered and said to her in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Do you see what's happening here? God is stepping in, and He's going to interrupt the lineage of Adam, and He is going to stop Adam from having this child, from being the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of this child, and the Holy Spirit is going to miraculously cause Mary to become pregnant with a child that is holy, that has no sin nature, and He will be called the capital S, Son of God. He's not born with a sin nature. He wasn't there when Adam sinned in Adam. He was there, but he wasn't there in Adam. And therefore, he doesn't have a sin nature, and he's not culpable or guilty or condemned. Christ, like Adam, was the Son of God. Number two, Christ, like Adam, was tempted, but unlike Adam, he perfectly obeyed. Satan comes to Eve in the garden. He deceives her. Eve gives the fruit to Adam. He he takes the bait. Satan comes to Jesus in the garden. Jesus goes out into the wilderness, out into the woods, and in Luke 4:13, the Bible says, "When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. The Satan threw temptation after temptation, after temptation at Jesus, and he resisted every temptation Satan threw at him, Hebrews 4:15 says, "We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet what? Without sin. Jesus didn't have a sin nature. Jesus wasn't guilty of Adam's sin because he was not in him, and not only that, Jesus did not sin personally. Number three, Christ, like Adam, suffered the penalty for sin. Anybody met Adam lately? Besides when you look in the mirror? He's been dead and gone a long time, hasn't he? The wages of his sin was death, and he died. Christ, like Adam, suffered the penalty for sin, death. But unlike Adam, it was not his own. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, He made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, innocent. To be sin, why? On our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus went to the cross and He suffered death not because of His sin, not because He was guilty, not because He was condemned. He went to the cross and He suffered the penalty for sin because our sin had been put upon Him. In the words of Martin Luther, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness. I am Your sin. You took on you what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. Christ, like Adam, suffered the penalty for sin. But unlike Adam, it was not his own. Fourthly, Christ, like Adam, died. He really died. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 to 17 says this, and this is important, that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Because we have flesh and blood like Adam, Jesus partook of the same thing, flesh and blood. He bypassed Adam's genealogy. He was born without a sin nature. He was born without the condemnation of the guilt of Adam. He never sinned, yet... He took on flesh and blood like us so that through death... How do you die without flesh and blood? He took on flesh and blood so that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death. Who has the power of death hanging over us? That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery... For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become a man so that he could die and face death in our place so that we could have victory over death. I have some honeybees. And there's one good thing about a honeybee. As opposed to a red wasp, yellow jacket... Horn it, all those nasty things. A honeybee can only sting you once. They have little barbs on their stinger, and when they sting you, those barbs hang in your skin, and they pull themselves away from you, and they leave their stinger, which basically opens them up and they die. And then you do this very foolish thing. If it stings you on the head or, oh, if it stings you on the head. And what you do is you push all the venom into your skin and it causes you to swell up. You just really need to prick it out backwards. That's just a side note. The point is, honeybees sting once. And Satan is just like a honeybee. He can only sting once. If you've been born once in Adam, condemned to death, hell, and the grave, Satan's gonna sting, and he's gonna sting when you're laying in that hospital bed or that hospice bed or on the side of the road in a car accident or when you drop dead from a heart attack. He's gonna sting you once, you're gonna die, and you're gonna go to hell. But if you've been born twice in Jesus, then in Jesus, you were on that cross. In Jesus, your sin was being punished. In Jesus, your sin was being paid for, and in Jesus, you have died. And because you have died once in Jesus, Satan may hiss at you. He may buzz at you, but he can't hurt you. And that's why Hebrews 2 said that Jesus came to die to remove the power of the one who has the power over death. And what was this power? Our fear of death. He's held us in slavery to the fear of death. That's why we don't do risky things for Jesus. That's why we don't take radical steps for Jesus because we're afraid of dying. And the reason we're afraid of dying is that we don't realize we've already died. And the sting of death has been removed. Isn't that what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been stuck in Jesus. If you've been born once, you will die twice, physically and eternally. But if you've been born twice, you'll only die once. And it's this old flesh putting off immortality, putting off mortality to take on immortality. John Knox said, "Live in Christ, die in Christ." And the flesh need not fear death. Number five, Christ rose again. Christ rose again. Unlike Adam, Christ rose again. 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as it is certain that we were born in Adam, the Son of God, it is possible for us to be born again and in Christ, the Son of God, capital S. Verses 18 to 21 of Romans 5. We're almost done. Don't panic. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Do you see how he's pitting Adam and Jesus? The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death... Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wrote it this way in First Corinthians 15, 44-49. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the nat- natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, born once. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And if all of that felt like it was over your head, and I don't know that it was, but if it feels like it was over your head, Jesus Is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through Him. Christ alone. Christ alone. Look to Him. I've been quoting all these reformers this morning John Knox, Martin Luther. We'll quote more. You you may have heard of this guy if you haven't heard of any of them C.H. Spurgeon. Known as the Prince of Preachers, right? But C.H. Spurgeon, as a 15-year-old boy, despite his Christian upbringing, despite the fact that he was in the Bible and in prayer, every day at 15 was despondent. And in his words, he said, I was years and years upon the brink of hell. I mean, in my own feeling. I was unhappy. I was desponding. I was despairing. I dreamed of hell. My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. But on a Sunday morning in January 1850, He stumbles out of his house in the midst of a snowstorm trying to find a church, trying to find some deliverance, trying to find some peace. And he's on his way to his normal congregation to worship. But the snowstorm drives him down a side street and he ducked into, of all places, a primitive Methodist chapel to dodge the snowstorm. The preacher wasn't even there. The weather was so bad, the room was almost empty an unknown substitute lay preacher stepped into the pulpit. And I want you to hear Spurgeon's words. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. When he had managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I, I dare say with Sophie present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow. It struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist could do, Young man, look to Christ. Look, look. Look, you have nothing to do but to look and live. I saw it once, the way of salvation. I've been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away and that moment I saw the sun and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to Him. So I say to you, Adam, old Adam, look to Christ. Now, as you begin to make all of your excuses of why you shouldn't look to Christ, because that's what you're doing right now. If you're you're needing to look to Christ, you're you're doing that in your mind right now. So I just want to preemptively strike and ask you, what is stopping you? Is it your sin? Are you that nasty of a person that your sin is keeping you from looking to Christ? Do you know what happens Sinner, wretched sinner, if you look to Christ, you see the graces of the Spirit of Christ. Forgiveness of all sin, mercy. That's what you see. So look to Christ. Is it your sinful buddies? I just don't want to disappoint the guys, you know, I don't want to disappoint the gals. If you look to Christ, you'll see before you the fellowship with God the Father, with God the Son, with Jesus Christ. What better fellowship can there be? Is it your own glory, your popularity? I'm just not going to be as popular if I really look to Christ. And we know, teenager, that's what you're about, right? Popularity. If you look to Christ, you'll see that you have been adopted. And you can be called an heir, the son, the daughter of God, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Is it your riches, your hope for riches, for gain, for wealth? Look to to Christ and you'll see before you the riches of His grace. Is it some earthly pleasure that would keep you from looking to Christ and with Jesus Christ's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? Is it your own worth? And your own goodness. See before you the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And that your worth is not found in anything you own. But in Christ alone. Isaac Ambrose said, All other things are thorns, vexation of spirit. But Christ is full of joy and comfort, a most ravishing object, all composed of loves, or altogether lovely. Consider that Christ looked off heaven and heavenly things for you. How much more should you look off the earth and earthly things the world and worldly things for Him? Oh, who would make it His business to fill his coffers with pebbles when he may have pearls or gold or silver or precious things. Solus Christus Christ alone. Look to Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy. We thank you for Christ who came to this earth the last Adam, to live the life that you require of us and to die the death that our sin deserves and to be raised from the dead so that we can be in him and we can avoid the sting of death and the threat of the grave and we can have peace with you forevermore. God, help that one here who is miserable to look off from themselves and their peers and their pleasures and their popularity, and their worldly lust, and look to Christ and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.